Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Matteo Lai. He's the CEO of Empatica, E-M-P-A-T-I-C-A, Empatica.com. And they make a device that helps people with uh, epilepsy manage their condition, uses uh, machine learning to do so. It's uh, very interesting. So, Matteo, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, my descriptions are just okay. Uh, you tell me the premise of the company. Why Why do you work in this area? And where did this uh, the idea for this uh, device come from? Yes, absolutely. So um, actually, we didn't start from epilepsy at the beginning of the company. The, the company is born out of research at the MIT Media Lab, and our chief scientist and one of the founders, uh, Dr. Rosalind Picard, uh, she was studying uh, kids with autism and uh, using sensors on their bodies. So these kids are non-verbal, so that, you know you, you can really understand how they're feeling. And the idea was to uh, try to read their emotions uh, automatically and understand when they were getting frustrated or stressed. And so during one of these experiments, uh, one of the uh, kids had uh, a seizure, and uh, we saw a huge spike in one of the sensors that we had, and each kid was wearing two on each of the wrists because we have different signals from different sides of, of, the, of the brain. And so initially they thought the sensor was broken, but actually uh, he had recorded the, the seizure with a signal that was um, had not been seen in such intensity before. So in, in a sort of serendipitous way, we found out that uh, it was possible to uh, detect these events. And, you know, epilepsy is a life-threatening condition. And so we decided with the company to start focus on uh, on epilepsy. But the general idea of the company is to use um, physiological signals, so to get body signals from sensors, and uh, using machine learning, understand what's going on to people outside of the hospital. And our focus has been on uh, neurologic diseases, so autism, epilepsy. We've done a lot of work on stress, and we're working now on on depression as well. Okay, interesting. You just said that different sides of the brain will give different signals. So when I see this watch that people wear, do they wear two watches, one on each wrist, or is that not necessary? Uh, yes. Well, the, the, our product that we have now out for um, for epilepsy, which is called Embrace, uh, actually it's the first smartwatch to be FDA approved in neurology as a medical device, and it's approved for tracking seizures in real time and sending an alert to, to caregivers. So in that case, people only wear one, and they wear it on the dominant end. So you usually have this, basically what we're tracking is sympathetic response. So, you know, uh, there's a part of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system that has two branches, the uh, parasympathetic and the sympathetic, and you could think about them like the uh, stepping on the pedal or hitting the brakes on your body. Mm. And so they try to balance you out, basically. This is sort of a very general and not a very scientific explanation, but uh, I, I hope okay. it's clear enough. Uh, so the, the, the sensor that we have on the embrace monitors the sympathetic response. And so this response is mapped through measuring sweat on levels on the skin. And, uh, and it, it maps differently on... Uh, 
on the left side and the right side of the body, depending on your cells, depending on the type of reaction. So usually people react on their dominant end or the reaction desire, um, and, and this works well for epilepsy. We also have um, other sensors that we use for research. So we work with pharma companies, hospitals, universities all around the world. And in that case, depending on the study, there were two. Uh, sometimes there were four. There were uh, two on the wrist and two on the ankles. So we have, like, each patient in these studies requires four devices. And this is, of course, very hardcore. I think it's, like, one of the standard. But for very sophisticated type of research, that's what it's used. Interesting. Okay. So what, what, um, what have you observed so far happens in a person's body when they have an epileptic seizure? Uh, well, you know, a seizure for the brain is like a, an electrical shock. So you have an impact on um, all the body. Uh, so different things happen. I mean, one, the sort of most common association that people have is uh, with people shaking uh, with, the, with convulsions uh, during a seizure. So that's something that can be monitored with the fluorometers because you have a very high frequency movement. And, and also another thing that happens is increased heart rate. So you can also measure. And uh, what we do uh, is look at electrodermal activity, which is this in, the sympathetic response that I was uh, mentioning earlier. And, and so we, we do a, sort of a, a combination of sensors to, to be sure that what we are seeing is really a seizure and not something else. Well, what are some things that could happen that resemble a seizure but are not, for instance? Uh, I, mean, th- I mean, they're not like, with the combination that we have, we can sort of look at events that are seizures in a pretty unique pattern, but something sometimes um, can be confused for seizures. For example, if you're in a high activity movement and you're stressed or um, you're sort of like in an intense discussion, um, so some, some events might be mistaken sometimes. So what we do is sort of take these events that are sort of false positives and trying to uh, train our algorithms so that we teach them not to be confused by those events. And also another thing is that um, this, work, this work is usually across the general population, but what happens is that some uh, ages have different um, events that might be confusing. So the um, sort of next wave of work for us is to work on personalized algorithms. So based on your specific parameters, you can sort of flag events as possible so that the system learns to uh, recognize them just for you. So this is the algorithm adapt. Um, although this is still research, you know, yet in the in the um, approved product by FDA. Well, I see on the on the watch you can um, send alerts to family and caregivers and friends, which is great. So if you're having a seizure and you're in trouble and you're somewhere, it also has geolocation. So that's really great. Um, you can alert people that uh, they care about you that you're having a problem. So I can see that's one great use of the watch. What what else do you anticipate the watch will be used for and useful for? Yeah, you know that's a that's a great question. So um, you know the the way the watch works today is a, is a sort of a life saving um, approach. What we're looking at is to use all this data to learn from uh, people's behavior in order to forecast events. So what we do today is we detect an acute event real time. Uh, in this case, uh, an, a seizure for a person with epilepsy. Uh, but um, our interest, of course, we are. Of a uh, data science company, so we are using the other parameters that we look at. So we, look, we monitor sleep in real time, we monitor stress levels, uh, physiological stress, and also physical activity. And so these events for for different people might be triggers for for seizures. So um, some people like they have 
sleep deprivation, they have poor, life, poor sleep, uh, the chance of them having a seizure increases. Um, for other people, it increased stress. For other people, it's lack of physical activity. So uh, this changes for everyone, as does the, the, the frequency of, of events. So what we're looking at is building um, machine learning-based models where the system learns from your behavior and sees where you're having uh, an attack because we, you know, that's already been done. It can be, um, can, can be pattern recognition and try to identify the triggers behind those events. And so it is for the system to learn over time from the patient and be able to forecast uh, events um, in advance. So it may say a, a bit like weather forecast, it, it can say there's you know, past days of data and then your history. We can expect that you have like 80% chance of you having an, an event tomorrow, so you can adjust your life, change your behavior, and avoid like um, worse consequences. And so that, that's sort of what we're looking at uh, in terms of research right now for for the platform. The, the product is the same; doesn't need to change. Just you know, on data analysis and so right. Well, how predictive has it become for some users? Is it is it working really well? Uh, I mean, it's not. This is not something that it's available. To the, to the users today, because uh, you know we only release um, um, sort of the, me the medical version. Uh, so this is something that we're doing research on. What I can say now, because we're working on this, is that the more events people have, the more the faster the model um, becomes, sort of learns from them, and, and, and the faster it becomes uh, predictive enough. But you know there's a, still a lot of work to do because you can't release a product that works for like some people and doesn't work very well for others. So we still have to do a lot of research to to make it more more solid. And um and we're also partnering with uh, hospitals and uh, other um other companies to to do this on a, on a larger scale. Well are you in the clinical trial phase yet where you you're getting people actually using it or are you are you not at that stage yet? Uh, well, we have the product on the market. So the product is a, is a medical device, uh, both in the U.S. and Europe, um, with the seizure, a real-time seizure detection. Then we have the sort of the investigational uh, version where we collect data for the forecasting. Uh, for that, we have an online clinical trial uh, that people can enroll into. And then we might have a new study coming out um, either later this year or beginning of next year, um, specifically looking at uh, forecasting. But for that, you might need to have uh, implanted devices, so it's just, it would be just a tiny percentage of the patient's population in, in epilepsy, actually. So right now, you, you are doing seizure detection, you're just not doing forecasting. Yeah, yeah. so seizure detection is a commercial product. It's a medical device. Um, the forecasting okay. is still under gotcha. investigation. So as for detection, um, are you getting reports back on how reliable that is? Uh, yes, we do. Well, to get it approved in the first place, you have to get... Um, you have to demonstrate it is reliable. So the way that's done, it's to so we basically develop an algorithm and then in a blinded study um, with hospitals, so with people that are monitored with video electroencephalography. So you know you have like you know anything from like 12 to uh, 24 channels of um, electrons on the head that are monitored real time for 24 hours, and then you have um, three different epileptologists which are neurologists basically, looking at, the, at that data and also the video. Um, and from that, they basically mark when something is a seizure or is not a seizure. And our algorithm, without knowing what any of the neurologists is saying, has to predict if that event is a seizure or not. So that's how it gets approved. Um, that, that's sort of the process that FDA wants to see. And in our case, uh, the algorithm was predicted 100% of the time to the blinded oh. analytics of three, three independent neurologists. Also, 
each neurologist doesn't know what the other two are saying, so it has to be independent. So you know, it's very, very rigorous process. Oh. The results, so it's kind of not good. It was done well. So do you have a good feeling about the forecasting? Do you think it, uh, it's going to work pretty well? I mean, the forecasting is really something, I mean, it would be something revolutionary. Not, nobody has even even kind of attempted that before. Uh, it wasn't really yeah. possible because you, you didn't have, you know, continuous monitoring that you now have with these devices and 24-7, and you didn't have an accurate seizure detection algorithm in the first place. So with this now, it, it at least po- it's at least possible to try, and uh, but it will be, you know, it will be very very cha- a very challenging research. Uh, what we think is that it, it will work fairly well for some people. Uh, for some others that have rare events, it will be more difficult to train a reliable model. But you know, the, the, this is speculation now, I and mean, it needs to be seen uh, with the, the science what happened. What do you, what are some of the, you said some of the triggers of what uh, poor quality sleep. What else are some of the triggers that uh, science has seen of seizures? Uh, I mean, it, it depends it depends on the patient, but I mean, common ones are like um, people not taking the medications, sleep dysregulation. So, you know, the usual hallmarks are not having enough sleep quality or changing uh, sleep onset or sleep sort of uh, wake up uh, from time to time, also changing meals at the time of the day. Uh, so basically, the, it, it's something that, all of us uh, get things that all of us get disrupted from, but if you have a very healthy system, you might notice as much. In a, in a sort of a very delicate system like a person with epilepsy, the effect might be uh, a lot more uh, noticeable in, in a short time. But you know, it, it change from person to person, and uh, also stress for some people is a very uh, severe uh, trigger, and, and so you need a sort of a system that adapts to the person to really be customized. Is there anything that can happen to people that mimics a seizure but is not? Like what? I, I, maybe, I know maybe it's a strange question, but what if someone was like tasered, or if someone just had an unusual uh, a, a condition that mimicked epilepsy? Have you seen anything like that? Uh, well, our focus—I mean, we might, we might not be aware of it. I mean, our focus so far has been mostly to look at people that suffer from epilepsy, so that's where the product is used. Uh, so we haven't seen. Um, a lot of other examples. However, there's, and also, you know, epileptic seizures by themselves are very severe um, events for, for the brain. So you have a very significant signature compared to other other events. Uh, we do have, I mean, you know, we do other studies, we do research both independently and with um, other companies in other domains uh, where some events are more subtle. Um, so for that, you might, I mean, the, the sort of real-time detection might be more complicated. But I mean, something we're looking now, for example, is um, um, aggressive behavior meltdowns for people that have autism. That is sort of one of the next frontiers. And, uh, and there as well, there might be a lot of work on on the detection of forecasting side. Yeah, well, uh, switching to autism for a minute or two, what, what kind of work are you doing in autism, or is that all in the future? And what do you want to do with autism? Uh, so we got to, you know, it's kind of uh, getting back to our roots as a, as a company because it's uh, where everything started. And the idea is to, um, um, you know, some of the people that are on, on um, the autistic spectrum have um, an easier, harder time interacting with people in um, social life. I mean, some people, so many of them rightly believe that, you know, we, we're not able to read them very well. 
And um, so the idea there is to have sort of a, an orientation, a, sort of a way to having another read on on um, these people's emotions. And especially in the case of aggressive behavior or like, you know, meltdowns, which are really the sort of more most um, severe form of uh, stress for, for people with autism, uh, the idea of having a warning or the idea that, you know, your kid is getting stressed and it might turn into a, a mm-hmm. more severe state in a few minutes. If you have an early warning, you can act on that Act on that and uh, sort of calm them down, or uh, you, you might have uh, sort of a real-time therapy that you can intervene with and avoid the, the situation in the first place. Uh, so the idea there yeah, is to work sense. on the, you know, on the sort of predictive approach to uh, to look at meltdowns. And there, there are some studies actually that um, one of our advisors has, has been working on that have gathered a lot of attention in the, actually in the past month uh, on uh, prediction of aggressive behavior. Uh, using our devices um, for people that uh, suffer from autism. So that might be also interesting for other categories like uh, people suffering from post-traumatic stress disorders, uh, for example, or other areas as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you have a kid that's autistic and you're, you know, he's wearing a watch, let's say, and you're in an environment where you see all of a sudden his stress levels spike, they predict to get outburst, you can take him out of that environment or change it so that it doesn't happen. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, the warning can go to the teacher, for example, if he's a school. I mean, so the, you can look at the geolocation automatically, and then it will alert the person that can intervene right away in that, in that environment. Very interesting. Okay. So autism, what, what other uh, disorders are you looking at, or is that plenty for now? I mean, it's more than playing, even the, the two of them. But I, another thing that we're very interested in, but you know, it will take even longer than uh, epilepsy and, and autism is depression. And and there the idea is to, you know, depression is a huge problem, and many people believe it's a cancer of the 21st century, um, especially among young people. Um, it's, it's getting worse, and so. Um, the idea there is to work in uh, predictive models as well, and but in a way that you can look at it in a, a one to two weeks out. And uh, so in that case, also in the case of depression, for example, one the, the um, sometimes one of the things that works very well is sleep regulation, so making sure people are sleeping well, sleep quality is high. Uh, our chief scientist uh, Rosalina de Matisse published a study a few months back uh, where she looks at the. Um, Amintol scale, uh, which is sort of the gold standard in uh, in the field, and they were able using um, a combination of devices and um, environmental cues. So people looking at how people were active on their phone, how fast they were typing, who they were tapping to. Uh, so combining the sort of uh, social aspect and uh, physiological uh, healthcare aspect, um, they were able to achieve up to 84% accuracy in predicting uh, depressive events. Uh, one to two weeks out, which is phenomenal. I mean, it's like amazing. And and with that, you can you can think in that span of time, you can intervene and actually avoid people getting into that state altogether. It'd be a real change. Well, I was going to say, right? If you if you know that you're going to be having depression a week out, what could you do about it? Yeah, I mean, you're you're at risk. Uh, you're like have a high probability, so you can. I mean, one one of the things that they tried to to intervene on that was to make this was done on university students. Um, I think it was, it was probably an thing which are like you know subject to like high levels of stress, and uh, so one of one of the things we tried was to make sure that they had um, a, sleep, a good sleep regimen, 
and I just uh, just that was able to get. I think I, I might be wrong on the numbers because I haven't looked at it in a, in a while, but I think at least half of the population was able to get out of the sort of increased risk of depression just by improving sleep. Um, so making sure they have good quality sleep. Okay. Well, very good. And um, um, so no medicines, no no, 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 no relax, just like uh, uh, self-regulation was was enough. So it's uh, right. quite interesting to look at. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what's what's the best way for uh, interested people to get in touch with you and to find out more about uh, you know the watches that are out right now and the ones that are coming? Uh, well, I guess uh, our website uh, www.empatica.com and. For sort of the products that are available, um, if it's for research, we have sort of the website. You can look at the sort of our research activity. We do a lot of work in many different areas. So we have a team that sort of looks at the uh, either sort of working with researchers or uh, looking at different things. So they, they, that's probably the best way to to look at it. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Matteo, you're doing great work, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to you for inviting me. I hope it was useful and that people learned something new. Definitely. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.